So several weeks ago, um, I, found my I found myself in a place of total desperation and panic. Um, my circumstances had reminded me again that things in my life are not in my control. It's my nature to want to be on top of everything, to make sure everything works out for all involved. I like to kind of be on top of it. I wouldn't say I'm a control freak, um, maybe a control fanatic, right? <laughs> or I like to just say I'm passionate about control, kind of. I like it a little bit, um, especially in important matters. I kind of like to control everything like a puzzle, get everything laid out just so to make sure nothing goes wrong, right? But then it's all on me to make sure nothing goes wrong. And I'm dealing with other people, and, but it's all on me to make sure nothing goes wrong. I'm responsible for all of it. But my plans just kept falling through. I would work really hard to get them set up, phone calls and plans and line it up, and then boom, they would shatter and I would panic. I forgot that when I don't have control, my God is in control. He's still in control, even when it looks like what I'm controlling falls apart. And it reminded me of this passage that we're going to be looking at today, which is Psalm 23. Sheep are not responsible for the plan or the place or the working out of the paths that they're on. Their shepherd is, and we're not any different. So turn with me to Psalm 23. Verse 1, and I'm going to read it how David would be saying it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So Psalm 23 gets a lot of coverage, right? It's everywhere. Um, it's on bookmarks, prints, coasters. You can find in catalogs entire Afghans that have the whole psalm stitched into them, right? Um, and of course, coffee mugs. They're all over coffee mugs. Do you think this would be a good time for me to pull out a Psalm 23 coffee mug? Right? Well, I just so happen. Let me tell you about these mugs. They're kind of cheesy. The description of them was, blissful lambs cavort in an imaginative pastoral setting, <laughs> accompanied by text from Psalm 23. 
So here's, I'm going to ask a strange question. Somebody in here, you are not fluffy and froofy. You're cool. You would never get a mug with the little lamb on it cavorting in a meadow. This mug is for you. You're supposed to have this because it's going to make you smile. So who is that person that's like, I would not get a froofy little uh, sheep mug. I know there's one of you in here. You just got pointed at. super cutie fluffy mug the lord is my shepherd and you got another little one right inside isn't that going to make you smile (laughs) and then who like me has been having to be reminded god keeps having to take his rod and or his staff and move you back cuz you're trying to take care of things on your own and you need to remember that you have a shepherd oh my gosh there's so many do them again all right well this is the right message then isn't it surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and you got another little one too you're welcome So several years ago, I read this book. It's called The Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, and it's by a man named Philip Keller. When a shepherd looks at Psalm 23, it's like a layer is pulled off of the psalm, and there's a whole other world of meaning under the words. Um, And when I'm done this morning, you're going to have a new perspective of this psalm, and whenever you read it or see it on a coffee mug... You're, you're never going to look at it the same again. So it's really amazing. Philip Keller grew up and lived in East Africa, surrounded by native herders whose customs resembled those in the Middle East. Philip Keller was also a sheep owner and a sheep rancher for eight years. So he writes this book out of firsthand experience. And he translates Psalm 23 through the heart of a shepherd, through his own heart and then looks at it through the eyes of the sheep. So it's really, uh, it's really interesting. He draws all these amazing parallels. We know the psalm was written by David. He was once a shepherd. He was the son of a shepherd. So David used his own experience to tell us something about our God. He knew by experience the care and tender affection a good shepherd has toward his flock or felt toward his flock. So the first verse, the Lord is my shepherd. Now B&B ladies, I know you know this. What's the first thing you notice about the word Lord? It's all uppercase. And what does that mean? It says Yahweh. Yahweh is my shepherd. You guys, Yahweh, the creator, the one who calms the storms, the one who stirs up tornadoes, the one that is for the underdog, the one that holds the world in his hands, Yahweh is your shepherd. He's your shepherd. And he's not just a good shepherd, he's your good shepherd. David says, he doesn't say, the Lord is a shepherd. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. He's boasting He's so proud of who his shepherd is. He's, he's, he knows he's got it good. He's like, yeah, the Lord's my shepherd. 
because, I mean, look how good my, my field is. He knows he has a good thing. David knew that the quality of life for any sheep was dependent upon the person who owned it. It could either be someone gentle and kind and devoted as a shepherd or a bad shepherd who is selfish and greedy and careless. I'm going to read you a little section out of this. The tenant sheepman on the farm next to my first ranch was the most indifferent manager I had ever met. He was not concerned about the condition of his sheep. His land was neglected. He gave little or no time to his flock, letting them pretty well forage for themselves as best they could, both summer and winter. They fell prey to dogs, cougars, and rustlers. Every year, these poor creatures were forced to gnaw away at bare brown fields and impoverished pastures. Every winter, there was a shortage of nourishing hay and wholesome grain to feed the hungry ewes. Shelter to safeguard and protect the suffering sheep from storms and blizzards was scanty and inadequate. They had only polluted, muddy water to drink. There had been a lack of salt and other trace minerals needed to offset their sickly pastures. In their thin, weak, and diseased condition, these poor sheep were a pathetic sight. In my mind's eye, I can still see them standing at the fence, huddled sadly in little knots, staring wistfully through the wires at the rich, rich pastures on the other side, on his pastures. To all their distress, the heartless, selfish owner seemed utterly callous and indifferent. He simply did not care. What if his sheep did want green grass, fresh water, safety, and shelter? What if they wanted relief from wounds, bruises, disease, and parasites? He ignored their needs. He couldn't care less. Why should he? They were just sheep fit only for the slaughterhouse. That's a bad shepherd. That's a bad shepherd. And unlike this shepherd, Philip Keller had one desire, to create an environment where his sheep were content, well-fed, safe, at rest, and prospering under his care. And he worked 24 hours a day to make sure that that happened, to make sure that he had happy, safe, cared-for sheep. A devoted shepherd actually really likes his sheep. He doesn't see them just as fit for the slaughterhouse with like dollar signs on their heads running around. He loves them for their own sake and takes pleasure in them. When you look up pictures of sheep herders and their sheep, often they are, you see them like pets. They love them. They become like pets to them. They care for them. That's a good shepherd. That's the picture of a good shepherd. That's why David boasts. The Lord, you know who my shepherd is? Yeah, Yahweh. No big deal. It's just Yahweh is my shepherd. Like he's a just boastful sheep because he knows if Yahweh's his shepherd, he's going to have it good. He's so lucky and fortunate and blessed to be one of Yahweh's sheep. When we, we just went to a play at Three Crosses for um, Beauty and the Beast, and my niece is one of the characters, and I brought my seven-year-old to see it, my daughter, and I've never heard her like name drop or brag or boast before. And we're in the bathroom, and she's like speaking not to me. She's acting like she's speaking to me, but she's speaking to everybody. And she's like, I cannot believe my cousin is Babette. That my cousin, mom, my cousin is Babette. And I was like, 
Yes, Faith. And then we get to where all the posters are, and she's all, there's my cousin, Mom, Babette. My cousin's Babette, you know? And I was like, Faith, tone it down. Like, I didn't know that that was her cousin who's Babette. But she was just boasting. She was so proud. She wanted everybody to know, that's David right here. The Lord is my shepherd. Huh. You know, like, take that. He was so proud. I shall not want. And it's not like want, like I want a boyfriend, I want a bigger house, I want a smaller waist, you know, I want a new pair of shoes. Um, It's the type of want that actually means lack, as in something is in want. David is saying, I am not in want. I won't lack. I won't have need. I won't have need. There is a sense the sheep is saying, the expert care of my shepherd, I will not lack. I will not lack. Anything I need or I'm going to need, I trust he will provide because he's a good shepherd. He had so much confidence in him. The sheep of a devoted shepherd can boast that they will never go out, will never go without what they need. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Did you know that it's almost impossible for sheep to be made to lie down? It's really difficult to get a sheep to lie down. Four requirements have to be met for a sheep to feel like it can lie down. Number one, they have to be free of all fear. They're very timid creatures, and they will refuse to lie down if there's anything that has them afraid. Number two, they have to be free of friction with others because they are socially sensitive. They have to be free of flies parasites and pests, things that annoy them. And they have to be free from hunger. They can't feel the need that they have to provide food for themselves. And when those four conditions are met, they can lie down. Fear, tension, aggravations, hunger, only the shepherd can provide relief from these things. He's the only one that can do it. Trust your shepherd with the situations in your life that are causing you fear and distress. And I say that to myself. Pray and trust. If there's friction between you and someone else, your shepherd cares. He wants to take care of that. Talk to him about reconciliation or healing or just the grace to forgive and move on. Anyone here have something in your life that's like a parasite? or someone. We're not going to mention any names. Don't raise your hand. Eating away at your time, your finances, your joy, your sanity, your heart. You just can't concentrate. Like, if I'm around bees, I cannot sit in a meadow. Like, I can't concentrate. They're pests. I literally, my son was next to me out in my car. I was standing at the car and he said something and a bee flew up and I got in my car and slammed the door and he thought I was mad and he went stomping into the house and I opened up my door. I'm all, no, no, there was just a bee. So I just slammed my door on my son because there was a bee and I sort of panicked. Um, I'm unsettled and not at peace when there are pests or things like that around me. So we have to ask the Lord, ask our shepherd to set us apart from things that are going to distract us and annoy us. 
He wants us to be free of fear, free of social friction, free of pests, and free of the need that we have to provide for ourselves. Those are the things he does for us so that we can lie down in green pastures. And notice that David says, he makes me to lie down in green pastures, not just pass through the green pastures, right? He wants to bring us to a place of rest, not just a meadow to walk through for that day. He wants to bring us to a place where we can actually take a load off and rest. The biggest thing that brought peace and rest to Keller's flock, which allowed them to lie down, was his presence. Just seeing him in the field quieted them and reassured them. It was the presence of their master, their owner, their provider, their protector. And it put them at ease day or night. He could see it happen when he stepped amongst them. You guys, our master is in the field. Our shepherd is in the field. And he knows all of us and he's watching all of us and looking for pests and fear and all that kind of stuff to settle us and take it from us and cover us and help us. As we go about our lives with our heads down, grazing, you know, on our iPhones, butting heads with people, you know, running into them, we need to look up and see that our master is standing in the field. And he's with us. He's in the midst of us. He leads me beside quiet waters, which is actually waters of rest. So you begin to see this theme of rest. He's wanting to bring his sheep rest, okay? Only the shepherd knows the best drink, where the best drinking places are, but it, he often provides them with a lot of labor that goes unnoticed, I recall so clearly standing under the blazing equatorial sun of Africa and watching the native herds being led to their owner's water wells. Some of these were enormous hand-hewn caverns cut from the sandstone formation along the sandy rivers. They were like great rooms chiseled out of the rocks with ramps running down to the water trough to the bottom, at the bottom. The herds and flocks were led down into these deep cisterns where cool, clear, clean water awaited them, just this nice, calm pool of water. But down deeper in the well, stripped naked, was the owner, bailing water to satisfy the flock. It was hard, heavy, hot work. Perspiration poured off the body of the baler, whose skin glistened under the strain and heat of his labor. As I stood there watching the animals quench their thirst at the still waters, I was again immensely impressed by the fact that everything hinged and depended and depended upon the sheep. Oh, wait, no. It didn't depend on the sheep. Everything hinged and depended upon the diligence of the owner, the shepherd. Only through his energy, his efforts, his sweat, his strength could the sheep be satisfied. In the Christian life, exactly the same applies. Many of the places we may be led into will appear to us as dark, deep, dangerous, and somewhat disagreeable. But it simply must be remembered that he is there with us in it. He is very much at work in the situation. It is his energy, effort, and strength expended on my behalf that even in this deep, dark place is bound to produce a benefit for me. It is there that I will discover he only 
can really satisfy me. Everything hinged on the diligence of the shepherd. He was there working even if they couldn't see him. They just thought they had nice still water. Isn't that great? They were probably patting themselves on the back. Look what we found. Some still water. I got this under control. And it's like, no, the shepherd's down deep, bailing it for them to enjoy. He restores my soul. David says in Psalm 42, 11, why are you downcast? Oh, my soul. And why are you disquieted within me? To be downcast is to feel dejected, defeated. This term downcast is also in Old English shepherd's term. For a sheep that is turned over on its back and cannot get up again by itself. It's fallen into a rut. Um, It's a very pitiful sight. He's on his back. His legs are flailing around. He's frantic. He's scared. Sometimes it might bleat a little bit for help, but basically he's in a frenzy and a panic. Anybody else ever feel like that? Especially when things kind of fall through, you're that sheep and everything's in a frenzy and a panic and you kind of bleat, but you kind of just freak out. Um, A sheep that is downcast can actually die. So what would happen is Keller, if he scanned his flock and he saw that one or two sheep was missing, his first thought would be, they might be cast. And he would set out to find them. And when he found them, he would run toward them, getting there as fast as possible because he knew they should not be in this position. So he would run to them. He'd gently help them out. He'd massage their muscles. He'd speak gently to them because he loved them. He'd get them back on their feet again. Don't you see God in that? As our shepherd, he is the faithful shepherd that will restore your downcast, despairing soul. This morning, if you feel like you're you're frantically flailing on your back in a rut, don't lose hope because your shepherd sees you and he will come to you and he will speak gently to you and get you back on your feet. He sees you. He's in the field. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So left alone by themselves, sheep are creatures of habit. They will just follow the same dry path everywhere. They just kind of eat barren stuff. They don't, um, they just graze on dead things, worn in gullies. You'd think you could just plop them down in a field and be done with it. That seems pretty easy, right? But that doesn't work that way. They, they, won't, they don't go where you'd naturally think they'd go to eat. They'll just stay in the dead stuff and eat it down to the roots and, and it's not good. Um, no other class of livestock require more careful handling and more detailed direction than sheep. David knew that if the flock was to flourish and the owner's reputation was to be held in high esteem as a good manager, the sheep had to be constantly under his meticulous guidance. A good shepherd will keep his flock on the move, taking them away from barren lands and pest-infected areas. They're on top of it all the time, moving them and getting them to where they need to be. He has a predetermined plan of action. The shepherd does. He's deliberate with his placement. He's deliberate with his movements. So the Lord, Yahweh, is our shepherd. 
our good shepherd. He watches closely over our needs, meticulous, watches closely over our needs, and he'll lead us into more fruitful places. But often he coaxes us out of our ruts, our habits, our relationships, our jobs. He might pull us out of a place where just, this is the road we've been on forever, Lord. And he's like, yeah, but there's more fruitful stuff over here. Someone pull you out of that and place you over here. Some of you right now this morning know exactly what I'm talking about. He leads us in the right direction with deliberate placement and purpose. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death or deep shadows, I fear no evil for you are with me. So this text is often read at funerals. That's where you normally hear it, but we're going to miss out if we don't unpack the meaning of the phrase a little bit, okay? It's not only for someone who's entering the final stages of death or to comfort us when someone has passed. It's good for those things, but it's for more than that. The Hebrew word that we see as shadow of death is also deep shadow and deep darkness. And it has figurative meanings of distress, extreme danger, and calamity. There was another slide up there, but you'll see it in a minute. <laughs> Some translations read, even though I walk through the darkest valley. The Amplified calls it the sunless valley. And I know everybody in here knows what it's like to walk through a dark valley. If you look at it just shadow of death, you might go, I don't really get that. But if I tell you, even though I walk through a dark valley, you're with me, we all are like, I've been in a dark valley. I know what a dark valley feels like. Okay, so why are the sheep in a dark valley? In the summertime, a shepherd would often take a sheep to the mountaintops for greener pastures left over by the receding snow. However, the way they would lead them there would be through the gullies and the valleys. That's how they would get to the top, the valleys of deep shadows. Why? Number one, it was the gentlest grade. Taking the valleys up through to the top is easier than going straight up the side. So if you were going to climb straight up, that would be hard. But if you take a meandering sort of switchback route, oh, go back to the other one, please. If you take a meandering switchback route, it's a gentler grade for the sheep to get up there. It's easier on them. Number two, fresh water was usually streaming in the valley, at the bottom of the valley. And so it's going to be dark in some of these places. When the sun is over here, it's going to be a dark shadow. But look where the water is. There's water in the valley. So he would take them up through the valley. God is our refreshment in the valley. Philip Keller said, It is not until we have walked with him through some very deep troubles that we discover he can lead us to find our refreshment in him right there in the midst of our difficulty. Our God is the only God that can do that. Seriously, in the midst of difficulty and deep valleys and darkness, he, there's this spring that somehow comes up that refreshes us. Number three, the richest feed is next to the stream. So he takes them up 
through the dark valleys where there's feed and refreshment in a gentler grade. In the valley, refreshment will be provided for you. Refreshment will be provided for you. A sheep man leads his flock gently but persistently up the paths that wind through the dark valleys. The sheep may not know where they're headed, but the shepherd knows the way. He's very well acquainted with the the route that they're taking. If he's there, they know they're safe. They know they can follow him. He stays with them. And so we don't need to be afraid because our shepherd is with us and he's not going to leave us. Notice that David says, I walk through the dark valley, not I perish there in the valley, right? God's will for us is to lie down in the green pastures and pass through the dark valleys, not the other way around. So if you're in a valley, don't quit, don't lay down, don't give up, don't despair, Keep going because you're passing through it. And then he's going to bring you to green pastures where you can rest. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. In the Middle East, the shepherd carried only a rod and a staff. The rod was like this small club, and it was a weapon of defense. They didn't just bang things over the head. They could throw it with great accuracy and skill. They were very practiced a lot. They were very skilled at it. We are owned by a skilled and able shepherd that can throw that club and knock out the enemy for us, knock out the predator, right? It was a symbol of power and authority. Our shepherd fights off predators for us. Most of the things he fights off for us, we don't even know about because they haven't even reached us because he sees it and he knocks it out before it even gets to us. The staff was a long slender stick with a hook on one end and it had many uses. It would bring a newborn you up to its mama. It would take, you take the long end and draw someone near who was kind of wandering off. He'd come over and move them back in where they needed to go. It could rescue one that had fallen down into a ravine. It was a symbol of concern and compassion. So you have the the rod that was power and authority and then a staff of concern and compassion. That's why he's like, your rod and your staff, they comfort me because you're powerful. You have authority. You're concerned and compassionate. What more could I need from my shepherd? We can take comfort in the, real, in the reality that our shepherd, the God of the universe, walks alongside of us with authority and skill and care. And sometimes he's going to reach his big old rod out and get us back in because we see something pretty and we just start going over here. And he's like, nope, 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 nope. This is where you're safest. This is where you need to be. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. So all sorts of insects emerge in the warm weather. Anybody that camps knows this. Um, And there were serious problems presented to the flock because of these insects. He didn't just light citronella candles all over the field, you know, and 
kumbaya with the sheep. The insects were really bad. Um, the worst was the nose fly. Now, it's gross what I'm about to tell you, but I have a purpose for what I'm about to tell you. So try not to la 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 like I want you to listen. <clears throat> the nose fly would get into the nose of the sheep and deposit eggs. And the larva could work their way up into the head and burrow in, causing irritation and inflammation. This caused the sheep to beat their heads against trees, rocks, brush, just to get some rest from the aggravation. And many of them would die from just the frenzy of getting away from the aggravation. At the first sign of the flies among the flock, and he knew the first sign because the shepherd is sensitive to his sheep's needs. He's checking on them all the time. He spends 24 hours a day making sure, how are you, how are you, how are you? And he goes, oh, I see a fly because he's so on top of it. He's so sensitive. Keller would put an antidote on their heads. He would anoint their heads with this antidote made up of linseed oil, sulfur, and tar. It would be smeared over their nose and head as protection against the flies. And he says, in this act, the sheep would be transformed. No more aggravation, frenzy, or restlessness, just peaceful contentment. Our shepherd wants us to have peace from those things that attack us and infect our thoughts and cause us fear and anxiety and distraction and insecurity, the things that get into our minds and just infect it and gnaw and make us just want to run our heads into a tree, right? But our shepherd anoints our heads as well. We have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We have God's Spirit in us. And it's his job to renew our minds and transform our minds and wash our minds. He will renew our minds and evict this ugly mental infestation that Satan tries to inflict on us on a day-to-day -day basis. So always be saying, Lord, renew my mind. Holy Spirit, renew my mind. Because Satan's trying to infect our thoughts with how bad we are, how much of a failure we are, how dysfunctional we are, how broken we are, how alone we are, how, 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 right? How we're not enough. Just renew my mind, Holy Spirit. Just let that anointing be on my head so all those things burrowing into my mind can get shut up and sent out. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So David's boasting again. I mean, you just picture him just chest puffed out. You know, surely goodness and mercy is going to follow me all the days of my life because I get to be in this flock forever. You know, looking at the knotted little sheep on the other side, he's so proud that his shepherd is Yahweh. No matter what comes, the sheep of a good shepherd knows that at least goodness and mercy will be in the picture somewhere. It's going to be somewhere. And he gets to dwell in the household or dwell in that flock forever. We are at a great advantage. If Jesus is your savior and you've given your life to him and you believe in who he is and who he says he is, your, your shepherd is Yahweh. And he we're in his flock, so we are at a great advantage. We will be well cared for. 
We have a compassionate, loving, and skilled shepherd, and he stays in the field. And he's watching over us. But we do have a part to play. We can't go trying to climb under the fence to go someplace else and do things our own way. We can't go try to find love or healing or um, security in the ways that the world wants to tell us to do that. We can't go into those fields. We have to submit to him as our shepherd, and we have to come under his care, trusting that he will take care of us. Hosea 4.16 says this, The Israelites are stubborn, like a stubborn heifer. How then can the Lord pasture them like lambs in a meadow? So the takeaway from this is, don't be a stubborn heifer. Don't call your girlfriend a stubborn heifer. I don't recommend it. Just submit to his care and trust in his care and stay with him. In this psalm, Yahweh is our shepherd. And in John 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. He takes care of us, protects us, and makes it his business to keep us. So let's trust him this morning with whatever is going on in your lives. Let's trust him that he's got an eye on the flock and he knows what's going on. Let's give him those things that are causing us to be cast down or tense or aggravated or afraid. As our good shepherd, he will go to great lengths, often behind the scenes, to ensure peace and rest of his precious sheep that he loves so much. So let's remember, he's in the field, no matter what is going on. Lift up your head. I just had to do this yesterday when things went sideways, and I'm on my front porch. I just had to lift up my head and go, okay, God, I see you. I know you're in the field. I know you're here. I know you see me, and this is causing me distress. I've got some pests, and I've got some stuff. I can't rest, so I know you're coming, and I know you're going to help me. That's what we have to remember, okay? Uh, let's pray. Mm. Well, first, Lord, we rejoice that there is another person that has just been baptized uh, into your kingdom in such a powerful, supernatural way. So thank you, Lord, for that person. Um, and we bless them. Uh, God, help us to see our wonderful position as sheep of your flock. I want us all to be able to walk around boastful. The Lord's my shepherd. Everything's going to be fine. That when calamity comes, when distress comes, when the dark valley comes, when we feel like we have to, to control it all, that we could say, Yahweh's my shepherd. I shall not want. I'm not going to be in lack. He's going to provide whatever I need. He's going to take care of the pests. He's going to give me peace. He's going to refresh me. He, he's my shepherd. And that's who he is as a good shepherd. I pray that you would just deposit that truth and that realization in our hearts that we are under the care of a good, good shepherd who spends 24 hours a day making sure that his flock is safe and comforting them and touching them and healing them and loving them. Strengthen us. 
We love you. Thank you for being a good shepherd, Jesus. Thank you that we aren't in huddled knots, cold and hungry and uncared for, but we are so loved and have been sacrificed for over and over and over again. God, I pray for those of us that like to be in control and like to have everything figured out and try to organize all the pieces and then they fall through. God, give us wisdom how to walk things out inside your plan so that we know when we try to work things out that your plan is over it and bigger. And if our stuff falls through, give us wisdom on how to navigate what do we do and we trust we're inside your plan. We trust you, Lord, right now. We trust you with our circumstances. We trust you with the things going on this weekend and next week. We trust you with family issues. We trust you with that part with our job and the person that we're fighting with and the, the fight with the husband and the kids that are off. We trust you. We trust you. We trust you to be our shepherd and walk it out with us. I just speak your blessing on each and every woman here that their mind would be renewed and refreshed this morning and their eyes would be set on their shepherd, on their master in the field and they would go into the rest of the day with confidence, boasting that the Lord is their shepherd, knowing they will not be in lack. We just praise your name, Jesus, and we love you. Amen.